It's early in the morning, the day before, the ordination of Michael Schultz to the diaconate, and we have a chance to sit with him as he prepares for the big day on Spirit Inspire, starting right now. Broadcasting from the Cathedral of the Assumption in Louisville, Kentucky, this is Spirit Inspire. And now, here is your host. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another great episode of Spirit Inspire. Uh, today, it's just me. Isaac and Eric weren't able to be here, partly because it's pretty early in the morning when we're recording this, um, because it's a very exciting weekend that we are uh, getting ready to enter into. And when this episode airs, it will be right after that weekend. So uh, God willing, we are very excited to introduce uh, our great and a long-term friend of mine and our great guest today, seminarian Michael Schultz on the eve of his diaconate ordination. Michael, thank you for being here. Good to be with you, John. Thank you. It's an honor. Well, we've had quite a uh, long past. What have we known each other? About 10 years? Or so? Yeah, when I was in the seventh grade. Seventh grade. Oh my gosh. And a random man came to my school and wanted to talk about a youth conference and uh, all sorts of things. So that's, I forgot about that. I yeah. thought it was when I randomly ran up to you at the conference and was filming you and asking you questions, but it was before that. That's yeah. right. My gosh. But um, it, it's just been a, a great gift to witness that growth from seventh grade onward. And, uh, I was privileged to come back shortly after that crazy time that I was in college doing all of those random talks um, and serve those same parishes, St. Luke, St. Rita, St. Athanasius in youth ministry, you know, and uh, I did my best. There were a lot of different uh, experiences that were challenging at times, like any job would have, but uh, you were caught up in the throngs of a lot of that. So it's it's been a great gift to, uh, to have you. Uh, in my life for all these years. I said, likewise, a hundred percent. You know, I think um, a vocation is born out of a lot of uh, beautiful friendships and out of a lot of uh, beautiful um, people that mentor you and that uh, guide you. So I'm grateful for uh, your mentorship and I'm grateful for uh, so many people that uh, kind of watered the seed. So uh, it's exciting. I appreciate uh, being here and I'm happy to talk a little bit. <laughs> Absolutely. Well. I wanted to get into uh, your discernment, vocation, things like that. But maybe before we get there, could you, for the sake of the audience, because a lot of people will witness this incredible moment, but mm. many people won't even get a chance to say hi to you because mm. of the intensity of the environment, right? Um, some people who do won't have very long conversations and they'll get a few things, but um, obviously a blessing, that would be a great grace, but to get at into your heart, you know, who are you, where do you come from, uh, what makes you tick, I guess, and maybe some of those early childhood memories, things that, uh, um, that people may not know about you, or they might know it, but they don't know or understand how that's impacted you in your life. So maybe give us a, a brief introduction to Mr. Schultz. Sure. Yeah, um, that's a great question. Uh, I would say that one uh, kind of very fundamental detail um, and really gift in my life is uh, being adopted. And I think most people know that, um, but I always knew that. I like There was never a moment in my life that I didn't know that I was adopted. Um, 
I don't necessarily look the exact same as my parents, so I knew that much. But even as a kid, it was something that was celebrated. Um, so I was born in uh, Sibiu, Romania, um, which is, a, a, from what I've heard, it's a beautiful town uh, in Romania. Um, and I was born there uh, in 1998, and I was adopted uh, 18 months later, so a year and a half later. So being Romanian uh, has been kind of a awesome part of my life. It's been a real gift. Um, and the gift of both my birth mother who chose to have life, to, to give me life, um, that has been important to me my entire um, life and even, you know, in high school being involved in pro-life things. And um, my parents, uh, my mom and my dad, who uh, raised me and who brought me um, to the United States, to Louisville, Kentucky, and to, somehow that's part of God's mysterious uh, hand of providence in my life. Um, it's, it's been a, a huge gift to be adopted. And my sister's adopted. My sister's adopted from Guatemala. Um, so that has been a huge gift in my life ever since I was little, um, being adopted and being Romanian. But up until probably last year, I had never really been able to connect um, with my Romanian heritage um, in any way. And so it was something that was important to me, but it, had, it was kind of uh, latent just kind of within me. Um, but last year, the Archbishop um, assigned me to the Romanian Catholic Diocese. So in the Catholic Church, there's Eastern Catholics, there's Roman Catholics, and um, in our part of the country, there's not as many Eastern Catholics. Um, right. But they, they worship differently. Um, the, it's just kind of a different uh, experience, but it's beautiful and different sacraments, but it's the same God and the same Eucharist. Sure. Does that include the Byzantine, right? Yeah, the yeah. Byzantine, right, would be one of the Eastern churches. Um, there would be the Syro-Malabar um, churches. Uh, there would be the um, Maronite, um, several other communities within the fold of the Catholic Church. And in the United States, uh, there's one Romanian Catholic um, diocese, and it's a Byzantine Rite diocese that serves all Romanian Catholics, Wow. Yeah. Wow. And it's actually, it's actually the um, Roman, uh, the Romanian Rite uh, Diocese for the United States and for Canada, because there's so few Romanian Catholics yeah, sure. in the United States. But um, I was assigned to study the Byzantine liturgy and to study the Eastern liturgy for my um, schoolwork. Um, I'm working on um, my licentiate and I'm studying liturgy. Uh, but also to serve, and more importantly, really, to serve the needs of Eastern Rite Catholics here in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, we have some Ukrainian Catholics. Um, we also have Catholics of other Eastern Rites. And that was a huge experience to be able to study uh, the liturgy in that diocese, to travel. Um, since their diocese is all across the country, I did a lot of traveling. Um, their priests uh, in the Eastern Rite are married, so meeting all these families that are all Romanian and, you know, and, and, and visiting with them. Wow. Um, it was awesome. It was the first time in my life that I had spent that much time understanding where I came from. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, and you haven't gotten to go to Romania yet. Not yet. No. Um, mm. I have great hopes to go, uh, probably in the next year or two, um, hopefully sooner than later. But, um, sure. yeah, it, it was just a huge, a huge experience in my life. And so, um, kind of, <laughs> bringing it around. Um, after this experience this summer, the Archbishop has invited that bishop that I was with this summer. His name is Bishop John Michael Botin, and um, several priests from that diocese 
to be here uh, in Louisville um, for my ordination. So he will celebrate the ordination, um, but Bishop John Michael will concelebrate with him and will um, preach the homily and will be a part of um, the ceremony and everything and be around for the weekend. So it, it's awesome. Like it's an unexpected uh, gift from, from God to um, have that connection to my heritage. That is a beautiful gift, Michael. And because I remember just getting a taste of your initial encounter with your heritage. And maybe you'd had other encounters before this, but I remember when we were in Poland. Oh, yeah. yeah. At World Youth Day, right? During the Year of Mercy and all of these things going on. And what happened again? Oh, that was, that was amazing. Um, <laughs> we were in, I don't remember which town we were in. Maybe we were in Warsaw yeah. at the very beginning. And somehow one of the um, like ladies in the parish, and their parishes are huge. Yes, like they their, are. their parishes are not, you know, um, country parishes that are that are small. Right. So the odds of running into someone like this is crazy. Yeah, like five masses on a weekend, and each one's packed. Right. But she was Romanian, and um, we, she somehow found out that I in our group there was a Romanian me, and um, she wanted to uh, meet me, and so we met and we talked. And then I think the next day we were at mass, the very last day, maybe it was Sunday, and she had brought with her this little um, package and she said, this is for you. I have to give you something before you leave. So you remember me and so that, you know, you know that you're Romanian and all this stuff. And I said, okay. And um, I opened it up and it is this beautiful uh, icon of, of Jesus, of Christ and painted, hand painted. And it's on a rock. And uh, I, you know, was like, wow, you know, this is beautiful. And then she told me, she said, when, when we left Romania, um, they, I think they left her in like political um, uh, uproar and everything. We took this rock from the ground. <laughs> and this was one of the last things we took with us. And now it's painted with Christ. And now it bears, you know, his image. And, it, and, and then she said, <laughs> And I'm I'm from the town of Cebu, <laughs> and, and I, I couldn't believe it. I was kind of dumbfounded because I was like, "Wow, you know, that's where I was born." And so it was um, it was amazing, you know. And um, yeah, that that was that was a profound kind of moment. And um, God, you know, really uh, really blessed me in that encounter, and that kind of began things in a lot of ways of. Um, of my uh, desire to, to, to know my heritage and to, to appreciate um, the gift of, of being Romanian and um, now hopefully uh, soon to be able to serve those people and uh, others, you know, especially. Yeah, so. yeah. And um, I think back to those times of going on that crazy adventure to begin with and, and all that led up to it, because these were just a, a, a month or so before you left for seminary. Right. Yeah, this was that's right. Right on the cusp of your entrance. That's a good point. Discernment. Yeah, that's a good point. That somehow God allowed that um, right before I, I began seminary formation, and now um, you know He's allowed me this opportunity to to understand what it means to be Romanian a little bit more right before ordination. Right. Um, I mean, it's awesome. I, I loved this summer experience of last summer being in the Romanian diocese, and the food is different. Um, the culture is different. The um, uh, just the entire atmosphere of uh, Catholicism is uh, it's a beautiful lens to to experience the faith. the The first day I was in the diocese was the feast of the um, seven Romanian uh, bishop martyrs, 
and they were seven bishops in Romania that would not um, leave the Catholic Church and go to Orthodoxy, and they they were martyred for the faith. And I think in wow. it, it, so the connection for me is that like when we were in Poland for World Youth Day, yeah. the beauty of the faith is that the faith is uh, persecuted, but the faith grows stronger. Right. You know, and so there's definitely um, there's definitely hints of that in uh, Romanian uh, culture and, and especially in Catholicism in Romania. Yeah. Uh, well, I remember when I was interviewing you for the uh, World Youth Day video I made, one of the comments you made that I remember using, and it was just very profound. And it was on the airplane back, so you were exhausted, and so we weren't even thinking straight, and we were probably frustrated with each other and everybody <laughs> on the trip, because it's a long, intense experience. But yeah. you had said, um, and it was reflecting back during our time in Auschwitz, you mm. know, and you were talking about, you know, crops are burned, but, you know, sometimes with, you know, wildfires or things that happen, and yet from those ashes, new life is born. And so the people who suffered at the hands of the Holocaust or, or other atrocities of genocide and, and war and whatnot, if they're doing it, you know, for righteous persecution and, and they are entering into uh, redemptive suffering with Christ, it's always going to bear fruit. It's always going to bring about resurrection. And we witnessed that very profoundly in Poland with the uh, the Victory Square, I think it was, where they were dedicating the the... the I can't remember the exact name of it, but it was like the Church of Divine Mercy of some sort, or, mm -hmm. or a massive cathedral that we walked in, um, the Door of Mercy. There were, there were so many beautiful things that happened during that time, but but um, it was all like part of, I think, God affirming you in your discernment in yeah. some way, right? Oh, I think so. I mean, it was right at the beginning of starting seminary formation. Um, it was it was a it was a huge experience. Um, I remember too, though, that was right when um, my grandmother on my mom's side, yeah. she was dying. And so um, a lot of people, a lot of priests I know have had that experience of traveling and um, a parent or a relative or someone is uh, dying. And that's a hard experience because you're completely powerless, you know, kind of pulled, um, pulled apart from that and pulled away from that. So I, for me, and it was on the day of Auschwitz that we went to Auschwitz that I found that out. So for me, like, I think the Lord, you know, that was important. You know, he wanted me to experience that and, um, and kind of uh, uh, really wrestle with the, the sorrow of, um, of loss and, and, and understand that and um, encounter him in that. But it was, we were in Auschwitz and I, I thought to myself, you know, I'm Roma, so my heritage people would have been killed in Auschwitz. And then that same day, you know, I found out that my grandmother was dying and my, my family that I love, you know, that, that I'm adopted into, but this is my family, you know, losing a, a member of my family. And um, yeah, I mean, somehow that was kind of participating in the passion. And it's, you know, I had never really lost someone before like that. It was hard, you know. And I, I remember feeling a deep bond with you in that time because my grandma, who I had so deeply loved, had just passed away in April of, yeah. that, month, of that very year. Yeah. And we also had a, uh, another, uh, a couple other people. I Mary's think. Grand, uh, grandfather, right. I think, passed away right like a day before. Or right. Whatever. It was like in the midst of everything. So yeah, it, those are profound experiences. And, and I think they bring us uh, a greater awareness of the gift of life and the beauty of our heritage. And um Obviously, it's sorrowful and difficult, right? And we had a, a taste of that because we were in Auschwitz, right? And yeah. even, if you remember, um, 
when we were trying to get home from Auschwitz. It was there like was the worst night of our life. Yeah. And it was so painful, but yet reflecting back, it's almost like that is the pain of death, right? It is. And it, you know, for me in that moment, just one thing that comes to mind is the over overwhelming love of, of everybody that was there. Um, that, that was amazing to know in in that difficult moment of, you know, losing someone to know that, uh, you have so many people that, that are with you kind of in, in the, that challenge. And, and it wasn't just, you know, oh, I'm, I'm with you. It was my grandmother and she lived two hours away. <laughs> and so um, immediately at 3 a.m., you know, when we got back and landed and then got to Chicago and then got back to Louisville, um, Furman and uh, Rosa Luna uh, drove all the way to, to Owensboro at like three in the morning so that I could be there. Um, right after my grandmother had passed away, and then everybody, like you all, all came for the funeral That's and stuff. Yeah. So I don't, I, yeah, I, I haven't really um, put as much time probably into reflecting on that as I need to. But that that experience of pilgrimage was crucial to kind of preparing for seminary formation. And well, because think about seminary formation as almost like uh, like a pilgrimage on some level, right? I mean all of life, obviously, it's the pilgrim church on earth. That's the whole point. But I think of this experience with death that was so visceral, uh, right, as you entered seminary. And I was essentially on some level saying goodbye to you as far as the day-to-day and how we work together. And mm-hmm. there was such a a beautiful and also intense uh, dynamism, chemistry, uh, dynamic that we shared together that not everyone understood and that we also wrestled with at times and we had some wrestling matches at times um but what i looked not as much as when we got lost no right right <laughs> when we got lost it was a lot worse i'll tell you that oh my god um <laughs> no, it, but it I, good. I think of those experiences um as almost inimical like sy- symbolic sacramental of the uh, what will be the priesthood for you, God willing? Because hmm. I mean, the clerics, what do they represent? The black means yeah. death. Death, yeah. right? <laughs> it's kind of terrifying and morbid to some, but if you understand it and you understand the beauty of our faith, we believe in the resurrection, right? And yet, the only way to get to the resurrection is through death, self denial, and all of what you have to go through. Yeah. So, could you reflect a little bit on that? Like the concept of sacrifice, self denial, and death when it comes to discerning to become a priest and preparing for the first big step in that tomorrow with the diaconate or transitional diaconate ordination. Mm. Yeah. I, for one of my classes um, in seminary, I'm taking like a course reflecting on C.S. Lewis and um, kind of his spiritual theology and his moral theology. Mm -hmm. And he has a wonderful essay um, called the grand miracle. And it's preceded by another essay just called the miracle. So the first essay is on, Miracles are all around us. Like <laughs> we, you know, people um, that don't have faith necessarily, they're looking for something to, to hold on to. They're looking for a miracle. And he said, there's a beautiful line in it that the miracle of water and wine, it, do, it didn't just happen at Cana. It happens every day because every day water is turned into wine. Like if you think about it every day, water is turned into wine. Water is, it comes from the sky, rain falls, Grapes grow, grapes are pressed, wine is made. So his whole point is that like miracles, wow. yeah, we, we live in a we live in a sacramental world, but he would say, you know, we, we live in a world orchestrated by miracles. So it's a beautiful essay. 
And then the grand miracle then for him is the resurrection of Christ. Right. He said, you know, there, there's two um, motions uh, for Christ coming down in the incarnation and then rising up in the resurrection. And I think, um, you know, culturally, we kind of forget the resurrection. We, we heighten the, um, the passion of Christ and we, we focus on the cross, which is important. Like, that's, you know, very important. But the, uh, the, the, the entirety of the mystery is that he rose from the dead and that he brought our humanity and, and our humanity rose um, and, and was elevated, you know, because of his. And um, it is a beautiful, uh, beautiful essay. And, and the, the, one of the best phrases in it that I highlighted and just stuck out to me is he said, um, inside of each of us, there are things that need to die that need to be crucified, but that also then need to be reborn. And that's, that's the spiritual life, is allowing the Lord to take these things and to allow them to die and then to be reborn. And that's, uh, yeah, that, that's, that's kind of the, mm. the center of it. Mm. So yeah, the resurrection is, is central to, obviously, a preparation to be a priest, um, but really for anybody, you know, for, for the spiritual life, you have to be, the Lord has to uh, find that which, which is in you and let it be reborn. Every single one of us, no matter what. Definitely. And, you know, as I've lived some of that in my own way, uh, and it always gets deeper. You, It's not like, okay, I died once, I'm good. It's I heard Jeff Cavins once reflect on this. Like, as Christians, as Catholics, we have to get used to self-death, right? Death to self, self-denial, uh, sacrifice. Because if we don't learn how to die in little ways throughout our life, and we always try to run away from it, well, we can't run away from the ultimate death. Mm. Right. And yet if we get used to it, then all of a sudden when you're facing death at death's door, you can say, been there, done that, got the T-shirt. I'm ready. Obviously, it's still going to be scary and unknown. You can't fully understand. I mean, even the most holy people might experience horrific terror at the face of death. Right. But it's all about practice and preparation Mm -hmm. for the ultimate eschaton right <laughs> whatever that would be and um yeah we trust in the resurrection and and so I, i'm i'm amazed that uh at witnessing the transformation uh in your life michael i, I said before we started today that i mean you're you're grown up and it's truly a, a blessing to have known you from those early days to now um and i i'm just i can't I don't know. It's it's one of those moments of recognition of the resurrection in our own friendship, you know, in a in a way that's on a different level, a, a deeper maturity, and and I'm uh, I'm very grateful for that. You know, only God can do that kind of thing, right? And there there was a time where we wondered if there would ever be a good, solid, stable friendship in the sense of you were going off, I was doing my thing, we were trying to find ourselves in different ways. Uh, different points in our life, but God has done miraculous things in our lives. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's exciting for me to be able to think that I'm coming back home, you know, I've been away in school for a long time, um, four years in Indianapolis and, uh, four years in Baltimore. And that's hard, you know, being away. I think that's why, (laughs) I think that's why we do it because it is hard, you know, to go away to school. It'd be, um, it wouldn't necessarily work, you know, if we if we did our uh, formation, you know, right down the street. There'd be too many distractions. Way too and, many. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, and and uh, seminary formation. There's there's always growing pains, and there's always, um, you know, kind of that wrestling um, uh, with yourself, wrestling with um, 
kind of the Lord, you know, like Jacob and the angel. Yes. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's exciting to be to be coming home and everything. Mm-hmm. I think of with we were, you know, kind of drawing out with sacrifice. It's a part of any vocation, you know. Um, yes. It's obviously a part of priesthood, and uh, and 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 then the diaconate as a preparatory uh, transitional stage uh, to priesthood uh, for seminarians, and that's clear in the uh, ritual. So you you lie on the ground, and that's like one of the most humbling things you could do to lie on the ground. The hard, you know, yeah, cold. face first, like <laughs> yeah. total self self surrender, right? Yeah, and. Um, it's it's kind of it's a beautiful thing, you know. Um, and then you have the litany of saints, you know, sung while mm. that that's happening, and the entire church is praying to the saints that they uh, might intercede for you, you know. And it's um, bless, uh, uh, consecrate, and sanctify this man um, is what's said in the litany of saints. And they they start, bless this man, bless and consecrate, bless and sanctify, consecrate, sanctify this chosen man. Um, so it's calling on all of them. But in the marriage ritual, it's the same. You know, sacrifice is right there. Um, uh, a couple of priests uh, really loved the old, um, it was called an uh, exhortation before marriage. And there's kind of a beautiful phrase in it that sacrifice is usually uh, irksome. But sacrifice yeah. with love is bearable. Mm-hmm. And sacrifice with perfect love is joy. Yes. And that's, yes. You know, that's, that's, it's kind of a beautiful, uh, exactly right. it's a beautiful reminder, you know, yes. so no matter what the vocation is, if it's marriage or if it's no, priesthood right. or if well, it's consecrated single life, how I've understood it. And it all comes from John Paul II and the theology of the body. It's the, it's the redemption of Eros, right? Eros, a lot of people look at as the word erotic, but erotic you know, is not pornographic. We've, it's been twisted up by Satan, right? And a lot of the cultural issues we're facing, but, but Eros is really meant to be, and is the upward impulse of the human spirit toward all that is true, good, and beautiful. So that what is even erotic can become true, good, and beautiful. And so it's the marriage of agape and eros that you're talking about, Michael. Like, perfect love involves the passions, involves the desires, involves the visceral, messy uh, reality of practical, lived, daily experiences. And that is especially experienced on some level uh, in marriage because of the man and the woman and the interaction between each other as well as their children and all their relatives and the messiness of that. And so that irksome sacrifice that might start out as irksome or difficult or, or not fun becomes more bearable. And then as you continue to mature, and I'm still learning this, but I've experienced it on different levels. When you can get a taste of the marriage of agape and eros, it's just it's joyful. It's good. And I mean, I've experienced that. And strangely enough, when doing Exodus 90, we're doing cold showers. I have always hated cold showers, but somehow the last five, six times I did this thing where I said, Jesus, I surrender in your holy name. And I just get in without hesitation. And I kid you not, it's not just bearable, but joyful, enjoyable, like I don't even understand how that's possible. And yet that's a, it's a, it's physiological, it's spiritual, it's psychological, it's, it's the whole person 
wrapped up in this. Like perfect yeah. love requires the whole person, heart, mind, soul, and strength to be focused on the love of another. You know, and that I think is the only real way a priest, a nun, a married married person, any person that's called uh, to a higher life, that's how you do it. Mm. But man, is that a journey? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it really is. So with your uh, formation, what has that been like? What is seminary like, especially for young men who are, or young women who are discerning a religious life. Sure. What does discernment look like before and within mm. seminary? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, seminary is one of the greatest uh, experiences that a human being that a human being um, can have in in, in in a lot of ways because no, almost nowhere in the world that I'm aware of. Are you able to really spend eight years or six years totally isolated and focused on on a couple very you know uh, particular goals? So your um, knowledge, you know, learning, your uh, human growth, um, your spiritual growth, and then your way in which you're able to minister to other people, your pastoral uh, ministry. There's not really any opportunities in the world to just say I'm going to call it quits and I'm just going to go focus on these four things. So kind of stepping back from that, um, that, that's an awesome, that's an awesome uh, privilege to be able to do that. Um, I enjoy the, uh, the schoolwork side of it. Like I enjoy studying um, things that I'm really fascinated with, you know, in, in high school and stuff, you study everything and you're not always, you know, wrapped up in what you're studying. So that's a huge blessing. Um, the assignments, uh, as far as like uh, pastoral assignments, have been um, excellent. And then the uh, the human formation, the spiritual formation, it's amazing to have people that are excellent mentors in your life to encourage you and to inspire you and to help you to be the best you can be. That's the um, my formator or mentor, whatever you call it, at the uh, seminary in Baltimore is a priest of this diocese that is now a Sulpician um, priest. Oh, wow. And um, he was actually at St. Rita way back in the day. Really? Yeah, yeah. Huh. Father uh, uh, Gladstone is his first name, but Bud is what he goes by, Stevens. Oh, wow. And um, great, great, great priest. That's um, cool. He'll help with vesting and everything at my ordination tomorrow. Um, but he his his kind of line is we want you to be the best priest you can be and that's 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 the whole point of formation is to um, acknowledge that god's voice has called you to this place somehow and you've heard that through the church you've heard that through friends and family you've heard that um in, in the quiet of prayer but god's voice has called you here and, and we want you to be the best priest that you can be. And we're going to help you be the best priest you can be. You know, um, seminary is not, it's not, no one's there to be a policeman or anything like that. Right. They're there it's to, not a career choice. <laughs> no, they're there to, to help you be the best priest you can be. And to just have that, um, have that opportunity is, it's a gift, you know, it, it really is. So I would say to anybody, um, any young man that's considering it, jump in. Give it a chance, you know, go, call the vocation director, um, Father uh, Martin Lineback, um, talk to your parish priest, um, call a seminarian, um, call me, like whatever, but talk to somebody and just be honest and say, this is something I'm thinking about. These are my fears. 
but this is what the Lord is saying and have someone else to walk with you on that. Don't do it on your own, but um, then jump in, you know, give it a year. And if you see, if you, you go to seminary and you're there for a year and you see, wow, this really isn't what I'm supposed to do, then that's okay. You don't have to stay, you know, right, right. and, and you did, I did, you did that. that, I you know? did that, exactly. And several people have done that and that's okay, you yeah. know. Maybe, you know, not everybody will, but maybe you'll come back, you know, maybe you'll go and then leave and then come back or maybe you'll go and then leave and then get married or whatever. And that's good. Like Archbishop Kelly's um, kind of thought on that was that we, it's never a bad, like, in quote, investment to send someone to seminary right. because they only come back better and they're either going to become a priest or they're going to become a better lay person, yes. layman involved in the diocese yes. and, the, and in the, the life of the church. The investment for me that the diocese of Owensboro gave, because that's who I discerned with because I was going to Western Kentucky that's University right. and, and uh, partly because I was kind of terrified of the concept and I just, it was so, I, I, I just experienced a lot of anxiety with my discernment because I was going through a lot in my life. But, uh, but God brought me through, and the investment they gave has been born and continues to bear fruit in my life because it gave me a solid foundation of formation and personal affirmation that I felt was lacking or just didn't fully appreciate with a lot of things I'd experienced back home at the time that now I can look back and say, wow, what a gift. And in fact, the, the scripture quote on our vocation poster that year was from Matthew, and it was, freely you have received, now freely give. Mm. And so that entire concept of gift and receiving the gift and learning how to give of myself, it reminds me of that quote that I often hear from John Paul II, Gaudium et Spes, uh, the Vatican II document, is man cannot fully find himself except by making a sincere gift of himself. Mm. And so you are about to make a very sincere very sincere gift of yourself. And I think maybe in, in the heart of Michael Schultz, as we get to know you more deeply, say your intentions, your desires, your hopes uh, are very sincere. I have only witnessed sincerity, albeit overzealous at times, as I have often been, and we can overwhelm people, right, and intimidate people, and I get that, right? But that comes with a driven, uh, intentional life, right? God calls us to something, and I see a great calling in you. And so, how would you, what do you look forward to? You know, things that you'll experience during the adora uh, adoration, yeah, sure, um, but the ordination tomorrow, but also the, the first fruits of that time and, and this coming year. You know, we'll do another interview probably leading up to the priestly ordination, but, but what do you hope to get? from this year or rather to give for this year? That's a, an excellent question. The, <laughs> the, the main thing is to um, serve, the, <laughs> serve the needs of the church. And there's a lot of needs, you know, but to preach the gospel, um, you know, liturgically at mass, um, and then hopefully uh, in, in preaching, you know, and giving homilies and such, um, but also to celebrate the sacraments, that's a huge grace, you know? The, yeah. the sacraments are a grace, um, obviously, to receive. Um, but to be able to be on the other end of it and to give, you know, to, to administer the sacraments, but to celebrate them, 
um, with love for the uh, people of God, for the church, um, that's very exciting, especially baptisms and weddings, which a deacon um, is permitted to celebrate. Yeah. So I have a um, baptism on Sunday. Uh, <laughs> what? The yeah, very next day? Yeah, I have a baptism on Sunday. Um, and that, that goes back to the conversation on seminary. So when I was in Indianapolis, um, I was assigned to St. Joan of Arc Parish and for two years. And uh, great parish, enjoyed it. Um, I did like a little scripture study there. I'd serve mass there. Um, I would uh, go into school a little bit. Um, and I was an RCIA sponsor. So the uh, man who I was his RCIA sponsor, um, we got to know each other pretty well. And he was actually getting married at over that summer. And so he invited me to be a part of the wedding. And uh, the pr pastor asked if I would kind of meet with the couple and encourage them and talk and everything like that. And really, we've, we've formed this great relationship, this great friendship. And um, now they have a son <laughs> and they've asked me to baptize him. And so they are going to be um, at my ordination tomorrow. Wow. And they're spending the, the uh, uh, weekend here. And then on Sunday, I'll have the privilege of uh, baptizing their son. And that's, that's what I'm looking forward to are all those um, amazing uh, friendships, uh, relationships of, uh, that, are, that are built upon Jesus Christ <laughs> and that are somehow the work of his providence um, and that the sacraments are able to be a part of that. You know, marriages, baptisms, uh, obviously um, administering the Eucharist um, and then sacramentals like offering benediction, adoration, you know, yes. that's, a, that's exciting. So, Well, yeah, you add to the devotional uh, piety of the people, right? That's the popular piety. And we, in, we need those uh, expressions of our spiritual life and, and ways to encounter Christ more deeply. Because the Eucharist is obviously the source and summit of our faith, we mm. know. Um, but how, how, what a better way than to spend time with Jesus present in the Eucharist so as to extend and deepen an awareness and appreciation for his presence within us, you know, and among us. And for you to be able to, to give that to all, any people you serve will be one of the greatest gifts I, I look at as any deacon or priest could give their people to, because not, it's not just about exposing, reposing the Eucharist. It's also, there's a, a mystical relationship that you have with the Eucharist that, the, that lay people don't. Because you're, you would then be given the chance to, you know, participate in the consecration. Now, as a deacon, you're not consecrating, right? right. But a deacon, as I understand, is a minister of the cup, the chalice. Yeah. How, how do you describe that? Yeah. Um, a deacon would be, I guess, an ordinary minister of communion. So not an extraordinary minister, but right. an ordinary minister. Right. Um, but liturgically, I would say the chalice kind of represents charity because it's filled with Christ's blood that he gives. And the diaconate, um, the prayers of the ordination of a deacon are kind of centered around that mystery of charity. Because in the early church, um, you know, the uh, uh, from the Acts of the Apostles, the um, widows and, and orphans and the table, uh, serving a table was going kind of, um, it was being neglected. Um, and or it, the word was being neglected so that these things could take place. And they said, well, we need men that are um, ordained, you know, set apart by God to do this task. Um, but so that not the word might be neglected. So the point is that deacon's ministry is founded on charity, you know, serving 
the spiritual needs, but also the temporal needs of the church. And um, so that the chalice represents charity in the mass. And so the deacon um, liturgically is kind of bound to the cup. So like you'll notice at the elevation, you know, it's the deacon that raises the chalice um, and it's the deacon that fills the chalice. So there's um, liturgical kind of um, moments that, that reflect that. Mm. I, you know, and it's funny you say this because we have a good friend who helped us start this podcast, Brian Kane, who is discerning diaconate. Yes, yeah. he's a married man, so it'll be a permanent diaconate. Right. Um, so if he's watching this, you know, there's a there's a gift there to to really enter into that discernment and deepen um, as he continues to do. And we're praying for him and all men who are just discerning diaconate and the priesthood. Um, but uh, I I'm just amazed at just sitting with you, Michael, because spending time together, I think, is one of maybe the greatest acts of charity that you can give people. Mm. And, you know, I'm, I'm one of the people you'd be serving, right? I'm one of the lay people and it's a, it's a gift. And, and I feel like there are many people in the church today throughout the country, you know, uh, even within the archdiocese that I've met and that I've felt at certain times in my life is that there's sometimes a perception that our priests are just out doing their own thing. Mm. And they don't spend time with the people mm. enough. I mean, they might be visiting different people, but it's hard to see that because we never see them in the church with us. Mm. And now, obviously, the mass and confession and things like that are pretty consistent, right? But the time and adoration, the time in community life, things like that are, are so important. But not just the fun and the social time, but the time in prayer and teaching the people to pray and to be present with Jesus, to let him speak to them. You are, you will be more and more acting in persona Christi, right? Eventually. Um, diaconate is a, a glimpse of that, right? I mean, I don't know exactly the theological terminology that would prepare you for that. Yeah. Um, in, 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 in so far as like when you celebrate baptism, you know, um, you're in that role. You're, you're, you're um, representing Christ, you know, because it's uh, it's Christ who's the, uh, <laughs> it's it's his, his baptism, you know, and it's his sacrament. You know, it doesn't belong to me. It belongs to Christ, um, and he's given it to the church. So you're you're participating in that. Mm. I, going back to something you said um, a minute ago, though, the zeal, you know, that's an important thing. And I would say that one of the, the best things that bolsters zeal for, um, at least speaking for myself and, and definitely for um, seminarian friends and priest friends, is seeing the holiness of people. <laughs> because, you know, priests, seminarians, and everything, they're not perfect, just like people aren't perfect. And um, seeing how holy <laughs> lay people are or can be and, and how dedicated to the sacraments they are and they can be. Um, is amazing. I mean, it really, uh, I take that with me to my prayer, you know, that makes me want to be better and want to, um, you know, be more devoted and more prayerful and more charitable. Um, so that's, that's another, um, fringe benefit of it all is, is that you get to, um, as a seminarian a little bit, and then obviously as a deacon in ordained ministry, and then Lord willing as a priest, um, I will get to enter into people's lives in a um, special way that that you're a part of these very important moments of people's lives, you know, 
births, <laughs> deaths, and, and the very important things that happen in between. And that, that, that stirs up within me, you know, joy and, and prayer and um, hopefully, you know, a zeal and dedication to God that I, I don't get kind of lax mm. or, you know, um, whatever, you know, because the world, the world can be dark and so it's easy to be discouraged. Um, yes. But it's hard to be discouraged when you have so many people that are living, you know, holy lives. I, just, I go back to that because in parish assignments, um, I've been assigned to several different parishes in the diocese um, over summer assignments and stuff. And that's like, that's amazing to have these friendships of people that make you want to be better, you know, and, and they, they encourage you and um, kind of push you along and, and pray for you and support you. Um, right. It's right, awesome. Right. You know that. Yeah. It's amazing. Cause, it's, cause, especially because you're away and then you come home. So <laughs> Yes. Yes. And that's going to be, I think, maybe one of the biggest uh, graces you might receive during this time is all the people who have been praying for you and, and supporting you and affirming you in different ways for all these years, you're going to witness you know, their support, their physical presence with you mm -hmm. in that place. And for all those who don't necessarily get a chance to say hi or uh, to have deep conversations, I, I'm, I'm hoping that many people will get a chance to sit with this and be with you here. Um, and especially the people that, you know, we work together to serve to the best of our capacity. People we got along with, people we didn't get along with, um, people that are praying for us and that we pray for. Um, at St. Athanasius, your home parish, at St. Rita, where you served the 6 p.m. Youth Mass, at St. Luke, where we spent Wednesday adoration every week for three years or more, uh, and all the crazy events that we planned together, you know, and the people that were involved in that. and. And those were all those initial bursts of energy, bursts of zeal, you know, that I've often been described as a volcano, an earthquake, a hurricane, right? And that sounds kind of terrifying, right? But I think there's two, two other ways to look at this. You can be a wild horse, which is a lot more peaceful, but also incredibly strong, a lot of energy, but you're trained at the same time. There's still that wild energy within you, but you're trained, you're formed, you're prepared, you're forged, right? And then like a jet engine, right? So there's there's also a, a the bodily industrial reality of our human condition. And so I look at the, the, the horse as the spirit, the soul, right? And the jet engine is like that human ingenuity, right? Because you do have creativity of yourself, right? That you're given by God. And so to me, the marriage of the two, um, my wife, Crystal, who, uh, you know, has transformed my life. And it was a gift to have you play organ at the piano, which, uh, or <laughs> organ at the piano at our wedding. Um, but she said to me the other day, it's like being a spiritual engineer, you know, in so many ways. So I, I, I kind of give that to you as well to think mm. about, like, cause as a, as a deacon, as a priest, one day, God willing, you would be at the heart of the parish. And so how do you structure, how do you design, how do you strengthen the infrastructure by which others can more deeply encounter our Lord? And that's, that's been one of the cool things in um, parish assignments is seeing how many people have amazing stories. So like on one hand, the spiritual side of it, obviously 
there's some really holy people that I've gotten to meet and that have really um, encouraged me and yeah. made me think, wow, that, that's uh, beautiful. There's something in, in them that's really um, a reflection to me of God. I, I'm able to see the face of the Lord in them. And then also, you know, people um, just very intelligent and very talented and very, um, uh, uh, I don't know, just people with amazing talents in, in parishes and stuff. Think of um, a lot of friends of mine that are musicians and I'm a musician. And so I love, I love that whenever I meet someone that's a musician and um, they're able to share that stuff, that's amazing. And then people um, that have all sorts of backgrounds in art, um, one one person that I met um, at one of the parish assignments, they uh, had a, a doctorate in um, philosophy, in Jewish philosophy, and just kind of that um, that to me is just as valuable. The doctorate in philosophy yeah. is just as valuable as the person who knows how to fix cars and knows how to. Um, you know, kind of agriculture and all that kind of stuff. People just getting to be a part of the ordinary part of people's lives and the extraordinary parts of people's lives, the whole gamut, it's, it's, that's, that's part of what (laughs) kind of spurns us on. And in, in the prayer, in part the prayers of ordination, you know, I'm promising that I'm going to pray faithfully uh, the liturgy of the hours. And um, you, it says to pray the liturgy of the hours with and for the people of God. Mm. And that's important, you know, <laughs> with, so, yeah, so, um, after my ordination, um, we're going to have Vespers and everything and I'll get to pray the office the first time with the people of God, you know, as a, um, as a celebrant in that way with, you know, Vespers and such. And then for them that I have a reason why I'm praying this breviary, you know, I'm, it might be 11 o'clock at night and I still need to pray evening prayer, but I have a reason that I'm praying this. I'm praying this for every person that has ever asked me will you please pray for me? I'm praying this for every person that I've been a part of, you know, a funeral. I'm praying it for every person that I've been a part of a wedding or a baptism. Um, I'm praying it for the whole church. And that, it calls you to a, to an important standard to, to realize that, you know, this is serious. You know, what, what, what you're about to do is serious. Um, uh, there's a, a phrase from the old ordination, right? Um, Agnoshite quad agitis. Know what you are doing. <laughs> mm. So really think about what you're doing. And yeah. Uh, yeah, so the interactions with the people of God, with the faithful, and then praying the, the bravery for the people, the liturgy, the hours. That's that's helping to know what you're doing, you know. Well, in many ways, because you're you're getting married tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You're you're literally begin well, I wouldn't say getting married in this situation. It's more like a and correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I, I sense it's like a betrothal of sorts before the marriage. I don't know. That, I, would that sound good? I don't know. If I, that's don't think, theologically I don't think the church, I don't think the church has said like a specific theology on it, <laughs> okay. but my buddy from seminary, he said, you are getting married because you're, you're promising to be, tomorrow, tomorrow is when the promise of celibacy happens. Ah. Uh. So, wow. Yeah, yeah. Because once you're ordained a deacon, you know you're you're, yeah. you're promising yeah, right. celibacy, perpetual celibacy for the rest of your life. Right. So he he's been you know teasing me, but he's like you know tomorrow you're getting married. So you know that's right. That's yeah. um, I think there is a truth to it that in that you know you're you're sacramentally um, being ordained, being configured to Christ in some way, but being bound 
to the church, yeah. you know. Well, well but, think about Joseph and Mary in their in their marriage. You know, she was betrothed, but right. she wasn't living with them. Right? right. And so she had already made vows of some sort, right? She was already vowed to him. And there was this obvious moment of fruitfulness with the incarnation and, and the annunciation and all that took place in her life. And Joseph married her anyway because he knew he was caught up in the great mystery. Uh, and obviously he only wanted to leave her because he was afraid of per the perception of other people. But, and obviously fear of how, how could I be worthy to take care of the Son of God, right? He trusted her, he knew her implicitly. And so in the same way, like you are being entrusted with something great, uh, the care for the people of God, the, the bride of Christ, right? And so you are becoming conformed to the bridegroom on some level in this great moment tomorrow. Um, and so in that, in that realm, I guess, for me, my, my last question, because I'm always called the theology of the body guy in Louisville now, yeah. um, I'll just accept that. But what is your understanding of theology of the body as it relates to uh, discernment, vocation, specifically to what you're getting ready to enter tomorrow yeah. and beyond? Yeah, I mean, I can speak, I can speak towards priesthood um, and the way I understand it um, in a particular theology of the body. And I would say, what is it, um, theology of the body of priesthood, what is it that a priest does? Well, a priest um, celebrates the sacraments, you know, first. Um, he blesses and he teaches and he um, sanctifies. And how does he do these things? Well, he, you know, that, that's the beauty of the incarnation. Going back to C.S. Lewis, the two descents, Christ descended into our humanity so that our humanity can ascend with him um, and be sanctified and uh, elevated. And our humanity is our corporeal, our bodily humanity. So for a priest, you know, he uses, um, he uses uh, his, his physical um, uh, body to, to do these things. So he uses his voice um, to, to preach and, uh, and, and his feet, you know, and St. Paul says, uh, how beautiful the feet of, of him who brings glad tidings. So he uses his feet to bring the word of God to right. the entire world. And um, he uses his ears to hear the sins of people um, mm. and to, to, to listen to them so that it's Christ that's hearing these sins. Um, he uses uh, his hands to, to bless and to heal and to uh, forgive sins and to um, anoint. And, and then his hands, which are anointed, are used uh, most importantly to consecrate the Eucharist with his breath, you know, uh, changing bread into the flesh and blood of Christ and wine into the flesh and blood of Christ. And it's his entire body that is, that is being used by Christ. Um, not merely his, his, his mind or his will or his intellect, but it's his body that's being used. And so when you, when you're lying on the ground, um, as a deacon, you know, at your ordination, preparing for priesthood or, uh, as a, as a priest, um, it's a sign of that in the liturgy because the liturgy is signs perceptible to the senses, you know, from Sacrosanctum Concilium. So it's, it's using the body and the material world um, because that's what Christ did to save us. He used the material world. Um, it's, it's using the material world that we are sanctified by it. Um, kind of one closing thought on that, you know, um, several of the theologians um, kind of after Vatican II re rediscovered um, 
theology of the of the sacraments, especially as their celebration has been revised and everything. And one one of my favorite um, lines and kind of uh, uh, just a a work on the sacraments is is that each of the sacraments, what they do for us bodily or physically or, or whatever is what they do for us spiritually. And that's, you know, you can say, well, that's obvious. But if you really think about it, that's beautiful. That baptism, what it does for us bodily is what it's doing for us spiritually. God chose that means of forgiving our uh, uh, sense of original sin, or our original sin and of, of bringing us into the fold as his adopted children. God chose water to be poured over our heads for that. And that uh, confirmation, you know, the Holy Spirit being sealed um, within us, God chose oil for that. And, and that um, anointing of the sick, you know, God has chosen uh, oil for the same purpose to, um, to, to call the Holy Spirit to, to, to heal um, and to give grace necessary in suffering. And in the Eucharist, to give us um, bread and wine to nourish us, mm. but bread and wine that's changed into something else that still looks like bread and wine. It still tastes like bread and wine, but it is something else. It's the body and blood of Christ. So that all of the sacraments, all of these um, ways in which we commune with God bodily, <laughs> they're doing for us spiritually what it appears that they are doing for us corporeally, bodily. Yeah. Gosh, that, that's so good, Mike. That's so good. <laughs> I, I'm very, very thankful for you to give that flesh and blood to to the diaconate, the priesthood, this holy orders that you're entering into because it is truly holy. And to me, holiness is at the heart of this, right? Holiness is another way of saying happiness, truly, because holiness is really the very best uh, and truest self that you can be, you know, the perfection of your humanity, uh, united to the divinity of Christ, obviously, right? But but you w remain within your humanity and you're divinized, you know, and you're, you're, you're brought up be and elevated because of Christ. And so a friend of mine uh, once said to me, and I've never forgotten this, that when the priest says, this is my body, our silent interior response, maybe even we whisper it to ourselves, uh, when Christ says, this is my body given for you, we should be responding this is my body given for you. Because mm. it's like a marriage in that way, in that situation. Yeah. That just as a man and woman give themselves to each other for the sake of having children and raising the next generation, so you will be called to raise up the next generation spiritually. Mm. You'll have numerous spiritual children at your beck and call, by the way. They'll be calling you all the time and demanding a lot of your time. <laughs> and it'll sometimes maybe feel irksome at times, yeah. right? Hopefully pure joy. <laughs> but pure joy is your goal, right? It's truly a gift. And, and uh, I, I look at the legacy that John Paul II left in his wake. He established the four pillars of seminary formation with mm -hmm. his pastoris dabo vobis, right? Mm -hmm. And I remember that. Uh, and to me, that was the whole person. And his theology of the body perhaps was one of his main guiding threads throughout his entire papacy, that if you look closely, you'll see it because the body reveals the person. The the sacramental reveals the 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 essence of Christ, or rather the sacrament more perfectly reveals him, you know, because the sacraments are like the splintered prism of the rainbow. At the end of the day, we're really called beyond the sacraments into the eternity, the eternal light of Christ, that primordial light, that initial pure white, perfect light 
who is God himself. And we'll see him face to face. And I think that's what you will reveal to us in a way that married life doesn't. You know, the marriage of Genesis only is meant to point us to the marriage of the Lamb. And you've already got one foot in the door, or you will very soon, right? And I'm so, I'm so excited for you, Michael. I'm so excited for you. I appreciate it. In fact, I have a gift for you. And oh. you might already have this. I don't care. Um, I'm going to do it anyway. But this is a book that I uh, received the very weekend of John Paul II's canonization. Oh. And uh, it was published that very weekend intentionally. So uh, Jason Everett interviewed all these people to substantiate the claims that they made because when someone has such a legacy like JP2, there's a lot of stories that people say that might be made up and not true. And you want to give honor to the person who it was, right? Awesome. Um, and so all of these stories are stories that many people have not ever heard before. And yet he does it through the lens of what did John Paul II love most? His five loves. Oh. His five loves. And so I'm not going to tell you what the five loves are. You'll have to get it yourself, but I <laughs> highly recommend it. And uh, I want to say this uh, is my gift to you because you, you gave me such uh, an incredible gift when you were present and uh, so robustly involved in um, the death and burial of my grandma. Mm. You know, um, those are very intense moments in my life that I, I've never forgotten. And uh, the music that you were able to give us was uh, profound. And I say this because the very weekend of his canonization was the weekend we buried my grandfather mm. uh, in the very plot my grandma had picked out even though he had died nine years before, and that's a, a whole story I'll share at another time, but we buried her in that same plot a year and a half later, and it was um, with the music and the mysticism that we experienced as a result of your uh, sacrifice, your self-gift that you gave a very hurting family uh, during a very critical time in our lives. And so... Uh, that gift to you, and I just want you to hear this, Michael, that as you prepare for these sacred moments in your life, the affirmation, the love, the grace that you receive during these times, soak it in, absorb it, enjoy every moment of it, because you're also called to agape, sacrificial martyrdom. Mm. And it is gonna be painful at times because our church is suffering, our church is hurting, our church is so deeply wounded, divided, confused, jaded, angry, rebellious. We feel like we're in exile. Hmm. You know that. Everyone knows it. And yet I know that in the wake of your ordination and the ordination of all the other men who are studying for the priesthood in these, in these days, that you all have a great calling to do something that past generations may not have had to do uh, in recent memory. And I, uh, I hope that you... Uh, deepen your interior life more than perhaps you already have yeah. in a way that will uh, fortify you, purify you, and, and strengthen you with the conviction, the confidence, commitment, and clarity of God's eternal love. Because holiness is ultimately about receiving the love of God so profoundly in his sacrifice on the cross that we're capable of giving it to others. It's all, I mean, all the gifts of the Spirit are meant to give us the love of God so profoundly, it just spills over naturally into the lives of other people. That's what piety is. That's what mm. holiness is. 
We are truly known by God so that we can know others through him who makes us strong, who gives us grace. And that, I think, is what wisdom is, to see as God sees, the recognition and celebration of the giving and receiving of authentic, vibrant love. Mm. And you will be called to that. Uh, you already are. And I'm, I've been so privileged to be a part of your uh, formation in small ways, um, as have so many other adults and so many other friends that are hopefully watching this. And um, we're all praying for you, sir. Thank you. I appreciate that. And um, yeah, I, I just kind of close on what you just said. Um, I'm very lucky. I'm very, very lucky. Um, blessed is probably the more accurate word. Father Gary Davis, a very close friend of mine, a mentor of mine, he always says, uh, I'm the luckiest man. He says he is the luckiest man in the world because of his priesthood and because of his um, joy to minister. And I, I kind of am feeling more and more like that myself. I feel like a very lucky person, you know, that I get, that God has given me um, so many gifts and this beautiful life. Um, and I, I kind of situate the, the, the greatest of, of these gifts in obviously my family, um, but in my friendships too. I, I have some very close friends um, that obviously you were um, a part of um, helping to foster those friendships, um, but they're amazing. And they, they're kind of the, uh, the center and the, the rock. Um, I shared with you um, earlier about Fermin and Rosa, Luna and uh, their brother, Leo. And then um, Isaac and Olivia Nord that are uh, amazing friends of mine. And I'm the that's godfather right. of their that's son. Right. Oh, that's so good. And, um, and Holly um, Ray and then yeah. um, Becca, um, Olivia's sister. Mm -hmm. And, you know, friends from seminary, you know, Ben and um, my friend Jacob. So all these, all these people that, are, that I'm excited to see today. And actually, we're in the cathedral this morning, it's very early, and I apologize for running late. It's, it's okay. But, um, You'll learn that over they, time, too. They came, in, they came in last night at like uh, 11 o'clock at night, and then more coming this morning, and, you know, they're all kind of filing it's in crazy. all these friends. And so that's that's such a, um, you're right, that, that's an experience of the um, outpouring of, of love, um, of God's love, and of their um, kind of participating in that. And that is for me a um, an inspiration and a uh, a way of encountering God myself. So, um, yeah, I appreciate you saying that. And uh, please do pray for me. I'm very excited. Um, a little bit nervous, obviously, but um, yeah, I'm 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 pumped. It's going to be a great uh, a great weekend, and um, grateful to God and the many people that have um, been a part of it to make it happen. Beautiful. So. You have any resources or or uh, final uh, encouragement that you want to give anyone discerning as they uh, as you prepare for this big moment in your life? This final, your final comments, basically for anyone and anyone you want to thank uh, beyond the yeah. people you've said. Sure, it, it's worth it. That's the that's what I would say to anyone discerning. Um, it's worth it. Uh, give it a chance, um, and talk to somebody that that will be able to help you with that. Don't don't do it all on your own. Um, if I can ever be of assistance to anyone, I'd be happy to do that. And um, our vocations office is uh, is excellent, so please um, reach out. And Archbishop Fob is excellent, so um, reach out to him. You know, I'm, I'm sure he would be happy to uh, um, to talk to someone about it. Um, 
he's he's been amazing, especially in regards especially in regards to vocations, but in general, he's been great. Um, yeah, and then as far as thanking people, um, I have to thank you know my family, my my parents. Uh, I I'll pray for them tomorrow morning um, at the ordination in a special way um, for their their gift of my um, adoption and of raising me and of being my parents. Um, and I thank both of my grandmothers. Um, who have gone to the Lord uh, to their reward um, because they both were the most faithful um, kind of holy people in my family that I just learned a lot from. My one grandmother um, was kind of the uh, the active and the other grandmother was the con contemplative um, because one was much older than the other and all that. But my grandmother, who's the contemplative, so to speak, she taught me how to pray and the basic prayer that she taught me um, that, you know, she, she said, do this every night, you know, before you go to bed is God bless so-and-so and, and just go through your entire family, go through who you talked to that day and just say, God bless so-and-so. And then at the very end, um, she said to me, I was supposed to say, God bless me and make me a good boy. And then, you know, I can't help but think that um, for the rest of my life, what she would want is for me to say, you know, God bless me and make me a good deacon and then God bless me and make me a good priest. Um, so I thank her for that. And for my other grandmother, she taught me just kind of what it really means to sacrifice and to, to, to offer charity to other people. Um, she had in some ways kind of a difficult uh, life, but that never hindered her ability to give completely of herself um, to her friends, to sit with friends and to just listen to them, to have dinner with them and, and talk, and then to do things for people. She was constantly taking her friends to the doctor to get groceries and she gave and gave and gave and gave till it she didn't have anything to give and and then she gave herself <laughs> so she um yeah in my book they're both um uh saintly people and um, i pray for them that they're in the kingdom and um looking down and hopefully uh smiling and interceding for me so i thank them a lot for that i give them um, a lot of credit for my um vocation so thank you michael thank you and thank you <laughs> thank you for having me this is um it's been a great time to reflect a little bit this is a good today's going to be a busy day and the weekend's going to be a busy weekend um but this is a great opportunity to reflect um a little bit before it all happens and so i look forward to um yeah. being able to process it maybe afterwards and, and kind of reflect on it a little bit more. And, right, um, right, exactly. And and to have that time, uh, I'm happy we were able to do this because you never know how schedules work out and timing mm -hmm. and, and the demands that will be on you from this point forward. Right. Um, but uh, I'm very thankful that uh, we had this time together because it, I think, brings deeper healing and uh, strengthens our friendship you know, on a, on a level and it also helps others who might not know you and might think they know you, right? Because of other things people have said or felt or, or in good or bad ways, right? And now they know you more and there's this deeper understanding um, to really sit with you and, and listen more than uh, just interact because sometimes we can interact with each other and not really know each other, Yeah. you know? And so when we take time to listen and to hear another person's heart, it draws us in and helps us understand them more deeply yeah. and strengthens our respect, admiration, and uh, love for one another. Well, Just thanks. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for the opportunity. Like I said, it's, um, 
it's it's hard being away, <laughs> like you know, being away at school and everything like that. Um, and you you definitely miss I miss being home and everything like that. So um, this is an opportunity to to kind of share that um, with everyone and to uh, ask for prayers, please. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to the weekend. Yes. Well, buckle up, everyone. He's almost home, so it's gonna be a great. Great time, and uh, I thank you, Michael, for this. Thank and you, John. So, with that, everyone, we uh, we uh, wrap up this episode of Spirit Inspire. We just ask uh, that you can uh, continue to pray for Michael and all the other uh, young men uh, who are preparing for diaconate ordination uh, on March 25th. Uh, Michael's is tomorrow, February 18th, and you're watching this probably right after the occasion. So we're we're. Uh, just asking that you pray for him and uh, to be attentive to uh, all that is going on in the Archdiocese of Louisville in our parishes uh, to bring renewal, restoration, and healing for so many. Uh, we need to pray for our priests. In fact, I, I just finished reading the uh, book, The Children of Fatima, that was written in 1945. And uh, the very last words on Jacinta's lips as she died as a child, whereas please pray for our priests. So with that, everyone, we just ask you to pray for us, pray for our priests, and we're praying for you. So God bless you, and we'll see you next week on another episode of Spirit Inspired. God bless.